3: That's RITERUG.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Picasso
4: knows your vacation home is your best home.
5: Visit Picasso to see thousands
0: of listings. That's P A C A S O.com.
6: Oh, yeah. Isn't it hot yeah. where we you are, too, Robert? Where? where? Is, is it, it
2: hot? Yeah, isn't it hot?
6: It's hot, baby. It's summer.
2: Other the goat's it's okay? The,
6: the goats are fine. Good. Um, this is Behind the Bastards, a podcast where every week, Sophie Lichterman asks me if my goats are okay. And I say, they seem to be fine. We sheared them recently.
3: Respectfully, I care about your goats.
6: They're goats, you know. They, 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 they're, they're good. They, 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 they're good at stuff. They're pretty hardy. They're so pretty. Why they've been that's why they've been goats for so long. They make my heart Kava, full. Have you ever known any goats? You have been friends with the goats, Doctor Cavajoda, uh, of, the, the we, House of Pop. Are, we, are we? starting? Mm-hmm. Is this oh, happening? Is yeah, this, this is is oh, okay. We started a while
5: You're, ago. We started first a while all, ago. Your your introductions. They're just like an inspiration to Thank us low level podcasters. You. It's Thank like. Uh, you know, people who don't appreciate your intros, they're like the same group of people that thought like Miles Davis' Bitches Brew was just
6: sound. You know thank what I mean? You, thank you. Thank you. A lot of people compare me to Miles Davis for many reasons. You're like the um, Thurston Moore of podcast introductions. Thank you. Is what I'm trying to you, say. Thank you. Um, Thurston Moore, goes, not cri- not quite as good as Ray Donk. Uh, no. Who, who pioneered a, the tuk-tuk a, sound, but a, yeah. Agreed. Um
5: and to get to your question, I don't know goats, but they were domesticated in Iran. That's a fun fact for you. Mm-hmm.
2: They were ruled that. up. That. Yeah. They
6: were. Yeah. You're uh, welcome. My, uh, the Angora goats I have, Angora comes from uh I think Ankawa. Um, so that they those are uh I guess Turkey. Um hmm. But yeah, that's that whole. Huh, not yeah, as good, but that's cool. Not as good, not as good. I don't have any. I mean, my uh, mine are Nigerian. Um, oh, some of them, yeah. So.
2: They're are beautiful. I
6: have I have. They're they're. I I, w- I would love to get some Iranian goats one day. My goat. My goats are very <laughs> cosmopolitan. You know. <laughs> they don't judge. Yeah
5: everyone could use an iranian goat i suppose um i would love an iranian goat. Uh, uh, so we are this
6: is happening huh? where this is the show is uh, the this process. is the show oh yeah cover fantastic how would, how do you like how do you like medical experimentation on unconsenting oh i, I don't i don't love it i don't not love a it. fan not a fan okay yeah that is that is one of those things that is like currently not supposed to be done um, we'll see. Give, this, give SCOTUS another couple of years, am I right? <laughs> uh, good times. So we should probably start by talking about what the, the experiments that Dr. Sims was conducting on these women actually entailed because, boy, it's a little gruesome. Um, as we noted last time, Sims bragged that there was never a time in which he could not experiment on a subject if he wanted to. But he also noted, quote, my operations all failed. This went on not for one year, but for two and three and even four years. And failed operations in this case means a woman is cut into and then gets no relief from the already unpleasant symptoms that, that she's dealing with, right? So this is a, a, a problem, right? Absolutely brutal. Yeah, it's, it's gnarly. And obviously, like, I don't know, one of the things that is a little more complicated at some point some group of people were going to need to endure surgeries that were not pleasant in order to figure out how to do this properly which is the case with every surgical procedure right some number of people are going to have to go through that procedure when it is less polished and effective because like that's the way learning works right um
5: it it, yeah. it, it is it is but um it's always there's always cares taken to do as little harm
6: as you potentially can. Right, um, and it makes a big difference if you say yes, I'm willing to endure this. You know, right. for the sake of not just my own relief in the future, but expanding the frontiers of human knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That whole consent issue. It's like a lot of astronauts died, and and we celebrate how cool that whole period was for us in the Soviet Union but, you know, a lot of them died, and it would be less of a cool thing if, like, they had been forced at gunpoint to go risk their lives in spaceships, right? Right. (laughs) There would would be less movies made about it. Yeah, Apollo 1 would be an even more fucked-up story if, like, those guys had been led into that capsule at gunpoint before they burned alive in there. Right. Um, Yeah. Um, But, you know, again, it's fundamentally noble and beautiful when human beings agree to endure suffering to expand the frontiers of knowledge, it's really fucked up when you force them to do that. Um, I don't think this is complicated ethics. I'm not a great ethics guy, but I think this is pretty cut and dry. Um, Now, I will say, Sims was a competent scientist in the technical sense. He was methodical with how he proceeded with his experiments. Um, He started by having his own specialized instruments made, which took him three months. The first of these patients that he operated on was Lucy, Lucy. Uh, she was 18 years old, and she had just given birth several months before this all started because, again, when you're talking about enslaved women, their primary economic value is in producing more people that you can buy and sell, um, and so you you start that process as early as you can. Uh, Sims noted, quote, The case was a very bad one. The whole base of the bladder was gone and destroyed, and a piece had fallen out, leaving an opening between the vagina and the bladder at least two inches in diameter or more. That was before the days of anesthetics, and the poor girl, on her knees, bore the operation with great heroism and bravery. I had about a dozen doctors there to witness the series of experiments that I expected to perform. All the doctors had seen my notes and examined them, and agreed that I was on the eve of a great discovery. Every one of them was interested in seeing me operate. Now, this was initially true. Sims' experiments were, at first, attended by many other doctors, and there was a lot of enthusiasm for his work. It is worth noting, though, that during this procedure, his patients were kept completely naked. They were asked to sit on their knees and bend forward onto their elbows, with their heads resting in their hands. Lucy's surgery took about an hour, and the doctors who viewed it reported that she screamed and cried the entire time. Sims himself wrote that Lucy's agony was extreme. Now, his fellow doctors were... Again, these are guys who are fine with using enslaved people as test subjects, but they were still horrified by how brutal this was. Um, and, you know, the realities of the surgery became kind of too unsettling for a lot of them to ignore. Sims himself wrote, quote, I succeeded in closing the fistula in about an hour's time, which was considered to be very good work. I placed my patient in bed, and it does seem to me now, since things were so simple and clear, that I was exceedingly stupid at the beginning. Now in specific, the stupid thing he had done was he'd used a sponge to draw away urine from the bladder. Given the fact that people didn't know properly about things like germs and sanitation at this stage, he wound up giving her blood poisoning. Um, yeah, so he had to do a bunch of stuff as a result of this blood poisoning. He thought that she was going to die from it. Um, She barely survived. It takes her months to recover from this first operation, Um, which... Isn't most I think most people would be like, "Well, that's not great. That's not how you want that to go." Sims is encouraged, though, because once she does survive and he gets her on his table again, he sees that the fistula he'd been working on, it hasn't gone away, but it's smaller than he was. Um, now, than it was. Now, since he can't operate on her again right away, because she nearly died, so he immediately follows up by bringing Betsy. Up and, and doing a different version of the experiment on here, using a self-retaining catheter instead of a sponge. Uh, now, this experiment failed too, um, and Sims makes no note as to how painful it was for his subject. And it's probably worth noting, going back to one of Sims's colleagues at this point, to again give a contrast for how other doctors were approaching the same problem. In his defense of Sims, Dr. L. L. Wall argues that fistulae were just so horrific that we can assume consent on behalf of the women used as subjects, even though they were enslaved, because who wouldn't want to be cured of this? Quote, and this is uh, Wall, Consider the following description of what it was like to be a woman with a vesicovaginal fistula in the mid-19th century, given by Dr. P.M. Kolak at the annual meeting of the Georgia State Medical Society in April 1857. The poor woman is now reduced to a condition of the most piteous description, compared with which most of the other physical evils of life sink into other insignificance. The urine passing into the vagina as soon as it is secreted inflames and excoriates its mucus lining, covering it with calcareous depositions, causing extreme suffering. It trickles constantly down her thighs, irritates the integument with its acrid qualities, keeps her clothing constantly soaked, uh, and it makes her basically insupportable to herself and all those around her. Um, so in, in pointing this out and kind of harping in, in extent about how unpleasant these things are to endure, Wall is basically repeating the argument that Sims makes in his own memoirs. Here's how uh, Sims writes about his third named test subject, Anarcha. Quote, her life was one of suffering and disgust. Death would have been preferable, but patients of this kind never die. They must live and suffer. Anarcha had added to the fistula an opening which extended into the rectum. Her person was not only loathsome and disgusting to herself, but to everyone who came near her. Now, this is Sims' argument for why his experimentation was noble. Life was unlivable in this condition, so what choice did he have but to repeatedly cut into these people? Um, Now, he conducts at least 30 failed surgeries on Anarka, each as gruesome as the ones we've detailed before. And this, again, there's a lot that's fucked up here. For one thing... um, He's the one saying death would have been preferable. She doesn't yeah. say death yeah. would have been preferable. This um, fucking guy, I bet you he doesn't yeah. even
5: get like a rectal exam without taking a Vicodin first. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? To go through an hour long plus thing, naked, all these people staring at you, this yeah. intense pain. It's honestly this something out of it's like out of the movie Hostel.
6: Yeah, it, it it's it's and and again, all of these doctors are kind of like. Pointing, doing something fucked up, even because that description we've read above is of a of a of a of a free woman like dealing with it and how horrible it is. But no matter who they're talking about, they all make the comment that like your life isn't worth living with this this thing. And again, none of them ask these women if they think their lives are worth living, right? Like that's that's one aspect of this that's messed up.
5: Um, And if they did, they didn't even bother to document it. They didn't care enough. It didn't matter enough to
6: them. To document it they think it's gross and so like that's to them it's like that's again not that this is not a serious problem it very clearly is but that's pretty messed up in my head um now monica cronin adds in the journal of anesthesia and intensive care quote after years without success sims decided to stop operating until he could solve a problem with sutures he describes the women in his hospitals becoming clamorous for him to continue the impression he creates is that the women were desperate for him to continue his experiments which cements their role as collaborators. Now, a few things are worth noting here. The first is that the conditions affecting Anarcha and the other enslaved women that Sims experimented on did not form in a vacuum. While many free women also certainly suffered from fistula, including members of royalty and other ladies of wealth and status, slavery absolutely influenced the condition. This is ignored in nearly every discussion of what was done to these women. Anarcha went into labor in 1845 when she was 17 years old. This was, thankfully, her first delivery. She spent three days in agony before a doctor arrived. Monica Cronin writes, quote, Biological anthropologist Patricia Lambert writes that nutritional deficiency diseases such as rickets, scurvy, pellagra, and iron deficiency anemia are thought to have been common in enslaved communities. Perhaps, like other enslaved people, Anarka's diet was nutritionally deficient and she developed rickets, which caused malformation of her pelvis. Obstructed labor, labor was a common result. So again, Part of why Anarka and these other women may have had difficult labors that led to these fistula is that they were malnourished because they were enslaved, right? I, I, I'm
5: sure nobody was getting great prenatal care back then. Right, right. Nobody right. was getting it worse than exactly. these women.
6: Yeah. Uh, now, the doctor who finally shows up to treat Anarka when she's having this difficult pregnancy was, of course, James Marion Sims. Uh, He was eventually able to deliver her baby using forceps, which he had very little experience with, because as he later wrote, if there was anything I hated, it was investigating the organs of the female pelvis. Um, He noted that the baby's head was, quote, so impacted in the pelvis that labor pains had almost ceased. Anarka did survive the surgery, but the use of the forceps and the general nightmare situation of the labor are what led to her fistula. Um, It is worth noting, James Marion Sims does not record whether or not the baby survived. He didn't consider that particularly like worth noting at all. Um, since she could not write or read, we know nothing about how she felt about the conditions she suffered after pregnancy. Um, Sims writes luridly about how nasty and gross it was. Um, and I, I think his, attempt, his account of her drips with clear disgust disguised as sympathy. That said, her condition was undoubtedly painful, and like any person, she surely desired a cure. That does not mean that she must then have truly consented to Dr. Sims' experimentation. We don't have to theorize on this matter. The existence of contemporary doctors like Hayward, who conducted fistulous surgeries and experimented on free consenting people at the same time, puts the light of this. Quote, and this is from Cronin, Hayward records the way in which some women he treated simply returned home, although a cure had not been achieved and he never heard from them again. The patient presented in 1842, four years before anesthesia, and Hayward records that she evidently had no confidence in a successful result and therefore returned home, despite being in very much the same condition she was when she came. Here, Hayward records a situation in which consent was conditional on a successful outcome. Given the opportunity to grant or withdraw consent for further surgery, this woman withdrew it, despite the limitations brought on by her condition. And that's that's the kicker to me, right? other doctors who were fighting the same condition that sims was held to something that approximates modern medical ethical standards right right. they attempted what they attempted and when the woman said i'm done they let her go right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that also shows that like yeah it's very possible all these women after that first surgery would have said you know what i'll deal with it we can't know because they never got the chance to but like (laughs) I can't yeah. imagine. I honestly just can't imagine, and and I know
5: that they probably yeah. did this whole thing like, well, women are just stronger than men; they can handle. Oh, this. yeah, we're you talking know? about that a little yeah. later too. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I I just I mean, I can't imagine
6: anyone strong enough to deal with that. I mean, I. Uh, yeah. There are certainly some people. I, I I suspect out of the population of people who had this, there would have been there were individuals who who would have who would have truly and freely consented. Yeah, if it takes thirty times, let's fucking do it. There's always people who are kind of outliers like that. Um, the fact of the matter, and maybe maybe some of the women that Sims was experimenting on would have freely chosen this, but we'll never know, right? Like no one bothered to ask them and they were not able to give free consent.
5: I just, I mean, at any point in his writings, Sims, does he like acknowledge, this was crazy what this this patient went through doing these surgeries so
6: many times. Does he, he acknowledge? He's made a couple, he makes a couple of blame of, of brief claims that like, oh, she handled it bravely. Like, um, but honestly, I mean, again, he doesn't even name the majority of the women he was experimenting on. And we don't even know how many times he did on each of them, right? Uh, we know he, th- he experimented 30 times on arca before he got it right. Um, now, obviously, uh, most people in medical science as a whole today takes it as axiomatic that an enslaved person cannot consent to being experimented on medically. Dr. Wall disagrees with this, and he uses Sims's own writing to argue that consent was given. Quote, Sims gave numerous accounts of these early fistula operations during the course of his career, and although they differ in some details, they all state quite plainly that he discussed what he proposed to do and obtained consent from the patients themselves before undertaking any operations. Writing in the New York Medical Gazette and Journal of Health in January 1855, for example, Sims declared... For this purpose, I was fortunate in having three young, healthy, colored girls given to me by their owners in Alabama, I agreeing to perform no operation without the full consent of the patients and never to perform any that would, in my judgment, jeopard life or produce greater mischief on the injured organs, the owners agreeing to let me keep them at my own expense till I was thoroughly convinced whether the affliction could be cured or not. Now, he writes this in 1855. Now, he starts his experiments in 1845. He finishes in 49, right? So this is something he's writing years after he he gets his, this is how we do it kind of thing. Um, a lot of Sims critics will point out that his autobiography, which is published decades after this, emphasized consent because it was now vogue to act like you'd always believe that slavery was bad. The fact that he does write this about their consent prior to the Civil War could be seen as evidence that he did care about obtaining what he saw as consent. However, he's also writing for an international audience who view slavery rightly as abhorrent. So you could also argue that he just knew he was like playing to a crowd about his patient's autonomy, right? He's writing for Europe, you know, because he goes and he works in Europe after this, right? Yeah. That's probably why he makes this note. More importantly, Monica Cronin notes that Sims's recollections uh, and claims about his own work and treatment of his patients were never entirely trustworthy. He claimed in his own public writings that in 1845, prior to starting his experiments, he had investigated the literature on the subject thoroughly and walked away convinced that there were no good solutions proposed. This is unlikely. Hayward had published his first account of a successful procedure in 1839, that's six years before Dr. Sims starts his. Another doctor, Metower, had done the same in 1840. Now, without Bing, which is the search engine we all use, I'm aware, um, searching was a lot uh, harder. Ask Jeeves, actually. Ask, oh, you're a Jeeves man. You're a <laughs> Jeeves man. Uh, that's not my brand, but I respect it. Um, but without, without the only two good search engines, Bing and Ask Jeeves, searching was a lot harder back then. But Monica Cronin notes in 1853 that Dr. Sims write, wrote a monograph that mentioned the work of both Hayward and Matower. Now, maybe he was unaware of them in 1845, but he there's a good chance he was aware of them. And one could argue that he should have been aware of them because they were some of the only dudes publishing in the field that he was experimenting in.
5: Absolutely aware of them. I'll tell yeah. you how it goes. He'll go to some sort of convention, and he'll go to some sort of like thing where he's with a bunch of doctors trying to impress all these doctors from Europe with his like procedure and his technique. And then what those doctors do is try and impress everyone in the room with their knowledge of the literature. And one of those doctors was surely knowledgeable about prior cases and brought it yeah. up. And his response was probably like, "Well, you know, I, yes, of course, I've seen the paper. Yes, I've seen I, the case yeah. report, but you know that they weren't dealing." with with the type of fistula that I'm dealing with here. This kind of fistula is a very different thing, et cetera. So he was yeah, definitely yeah. exposed to it.
6: Yeah. I, I think that, and, and again, that's that, again, that's what Cronin's arguing. And by the way, the fact that you've been talking about anesthesia a couple of times, the fact that she is an expert on anesthesia writing for the journal of anesthesia will be real relevant, but we got some other shit to get through, but you know what we got to get through first Kave? I, yeah, I know we got to get through capitalism. Capitalism is the thing, man. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. It's good. It yeah. allows me to have goats. Thank your goats. Think capitalism well, for your goats. Honestly, I think the goats are before, but like pretty good sandwiches. I'm. I'm gonna, I, I will say this for capitalism: it's been a real boon for sandwich uh, innovation.
5: Yeah, probably. You the have good you have they.
6: fewer kinds of sandwiches prior to capitalism.
5: Yeah, it's the only good thing to come out of capitalism. I think I can agree with that.
6: Sandwiches and yeah, yeah, goats. sandwiches and goats. And goats. Goat goat invented, the goats The goat invented by John Capitalism in <laughs> 1940. All right. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table.
2: I want to be remembered
1: for just being me. Amy Winehouse, back to black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com,
6: where America goes to hire. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. We are back. Okay, so when it comes to modern defenses of Dr. Sims, L.L. Wall next claims, quote, as a matter of surgical practicality, considering the delicate and tedious requirements of performing surgery inside the vagina and the exceedingly difficult circumstances of exposure and inadequate lighting under which he was forced to operate, Sims could not have carried out these operations successfully without the cooperation of the women involved. Even the slightest movement, much less the active resistance of these patients, would have rendered it impossible for him to have completed his operative procedures. Indeed, when his regular medical assistants tired of working with him, Sims trained the patients themselves to act as his surgical assistants, and they thereafter helped him operate on one another in turn. He ends that sentence with an exclamation point. Now, there's a lot that's wrong with that, right? There's a lot that's wrong. She didn't fight, so she must have been fine with it. Oh, I hate this so much. (laughs) Now, first off, his argument is, again, they they must have consented because they didn't fight, and then they were so into it that they got trained as surgical assistants which he frames as like look at how cool it is they're helping him with his his great work again he frames this as kind of a triumph um however number one obviously he own, effectively owns these women in a legal sense they could not have agreed to it but also like other write-ups of the fact that he trains some of these women to be surgical assistants are a lot less cheery oh, see
5: can I guess yeah is it more like you need to hold this person down <laughs> yeah. while I do this?
6: Ding 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 ding. Yes. Yes. Doc, I hate it, this by guy. being he is literally they're not fighting and they're agreeing to hold down each other while I like, like it's pretty pretty bad, <laughs> like when uh. you think about it. Um uh, that wall that wall today is making that argument. Um and again, Wall simply says that Sims regular medical by which I mean white Medical assistants tired of the work, and that's why he had to train these women. The context Cronin provides makes the reality seem a bit more dire. Quote Originally, Sims had a lot of support from the local medical community. For Lucy's operation, he records another dozen or so doctors in attendance to witness his work and to assist and support him. As time passed, he received less and less support. His brother-in-law, also a doctor, all but begged him to stop, citing the expense of housing additional enslaved women, as well as the injustice to his young and growing family because his attention was so diverted. Within two years of beginning his experimentation, Sims was cast into professional isolation. He wrote that, despite the many problems he experienced, his patients were, "...all perfectly satisfied with what I am doing for them. I cannot depend on the doctors, and so I have trained them to assist me." So... Furthermore, when Sims does finally figure out how to do this procedure in a replicable way, and he publishes an article on it in 1852, he figures it out before, but the article comes out in 52, he describes several parts of the procedure for which assistance was required, like the things he needed these women's help for. And as you said, first, I mean, it does include stuff like cleaning instruments and holding the speculum in place, but it involves having them hold each other down while he performs surgery on them. Um, You can... Yeah, I'll make your own conclusions about the ethics of that, but it's real weird that Wall goes to bat for this part of it to me. That's what's interesting about this, and I'm actually kind of glad that you've given me someone to hate
5: that's still alive. You know yeah. what I mean? It's rare yeah. that you do that. Usually you give me these stories of people who are terrible and then they yeah. die and there's like that and they die like happily and peacefully. Yeah. But rarely is there like, oh, there is a chance that this person could uh experience some consequences. And that's, yeah. that's almost heartwarming to me.
6: Yeah, and I, I, one of the stories that we're not going to get into enough of the last few years is Wall like steadily losing this argument within his own field to people. Um, yeah. Because he, is, he, he spent years defending Sims. Um, and eventually, people have pretty much stopped listening. Um, I don't know what's going on with the guy, but he is very much dedicated to like defending this man's legacy. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to just, like, defending, like, well, we need to, you know, this is a a chapter in medical history that's worth studying, which it certainly is. But um, part of what's worth studying is stuff that's fucked up about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So nearly every critical piece about Dr. Marion Sims will note that one of his uh, sins was failing to use anesthesia on his enslaved patients. NPR writes a pretty representative summary of this critique. Quote, Modern critics of Sims also note that he conducted these experiments without anesthesia, although the commission does not focus on this element of his research. His research began during the early days of modern anesthesia, as his defenders have noted. After perfecting the technique on black women without anesthesia, Sims went on to offer it to white women. But he treated white women with anesthesia, Gamble noted. Sims's own statements on this are mixed. Years after his initial tests, he said he still didn't believe in using anesthesia for fistula surgeries because they are not painful enough to justify the trouble and risk. But he also said the experimental surgeries on his enslaved subjects were so painful that none but a woman could have borne them. And in his autobiography, he describes conducting fistula operations in Europe on wealthy women who were sedated. So, This yeah. is such like a a small part of a bigger problem
5: about how men do awful things to women and then basically are like women how do they handle us huh wow they're so strong they do my
6: wife put up with me
5: sucking so bad (laughs) and and clearly and, and you're probably gonna talk about this later but clearly you know this uh, a big part of his uh his thought that like she can handle the pain is because she's black too because that oh, was yes. racism yes. Then,
6: <laughs> and now yeah. and, and now i don't yeah, know we're t- we'll talk get talk to that yeah okay. yeah we'll get to that we'll there's a that. there's a study
5: yeah. from a journal called PNAS that i want to tell you yeah. about later if you yeah. don't already have it
6: oh we're going to talk about your PNAS a yeah. lot Kava. let's get into the PNAS we we had to had, had to do that at some point so yeah uh <laughs> it was inevitable it was inevitable. That was just physics, baby. That was just that was just <laughs> tides rolling in. Yeah. <laughs> so now I, I will note. So NPR makes the statement that like uh, he does conduct fistula experiments or operations on women who are segnated in Europe. It is worth noting, to be completely fair about this, that NPR does not make a note of when he used anesthetic on wealthy white women. And this is important, right? It, it, and this is again not to like forgive this man, but it is worth noting just to be accurate. This is a period in which they are starting to figure out anesthetics, right? This is a period in which that, that science is very much being born in a meaningful way. Um, it was a, not at the time, a completely agreed upon thing. There was substantial medical debate on whether you should anesthetize patients and when you should anesthetize them and how one of the, this is a side, but one of the weird things to me is that, um, they figure out how to make and have and use nitrous oxide like a hundred something years before this point. Like in the 1700s, people were having like nitrous parties. They don't use it until like around this period for the first time in an actual medical procedure. Like we know about this shit for a hundred years before someone's like, hey, this thing that makes it impossible to feel pain and makes people just kind of like pass out. What have we... What if we use that on surgery? <laughs> Could we maybe try that instead of like getting them drunk and hacking off a
5: limb? Right. At some point, someone would be like, "They would move a lot less." I yeah. think if they weren't
6: screaming and writhing in wow. pain. Seems like alcohol sucks as a painkiller. <laughs> oh well, back to the axe. <laughs> yeah, it does. It this it is one of those things where it's like. You had like you had God's perfect anesthetic for a hundred years before anyone was like, "What if we use this for surgery? Could this work on the biggest problem in medical science?" Yeah, I mean, also like we'll keep I,
5: partying with it. Fuck it. Yeah, no, just keep this at the parties. Like, yeah. I mean, by 1846, like uh, it had been well described as yes, in the yes, view. yes. So, I mean, it's we're not getting like, into that. Yeah. yeah, sorry,
6: go on. I just wanted to note that, like the fact that he's doing in the 1860s in Europe, he's using anesthetic doesn't mean that in 1845 he would have had it, right? Right, right. Um, Or known that it was the right thing to do. The timing matters here because you can't specifically call it cruelty for not enslaving his enslaved, uh, for not uh, sedating his enslaved patients. Yeah, if he did not have the ability to do so, right? Right. Um, This is basically the argument that Wall makes in defense of Sims in this specific aspect. Now, again, this is why I'm particularly partial to Monica Cronin's reposts to wall because she is an expert in the history of anesthesiology. Um, And she is particularly trenchant in her dissection of these claims. She notes that while Sims did his experiments in Alabama over in Georgia, where he had also spent time, a prominent doctor named Crawford Long had been using ether as a sedative since 1842. Tools like that could have sedated his patients were available if he had wanted them. I should note, as Cronin does, that the concept of anesthetizing patients was new in this period. It was not universally agreed upon as to when you should anesthetize people. That said, she seems to conclude that based on the experiments going on around him, it is unfair to criticize him for not using the anesthetics when he started in 1845. He may not have realistically been able to, like, get access to them. But after 1846, and he carried out dozens of surgeries after 1846— he had the opportunity, the the tools were available, and it was well documented that they worked. Quote, Leonard F. Vernon argues Sims' lack of training and experience in the use of ether would have prevented him from using it, as it may have been more of a danger than the actual surgery. The idea recurs in defense of Sims. Yet lack of training and experience did not stop him from using forceps on an Arca, certainly did not stand in his way when attempting surgical repair for obstetric fistula, and it did not prevent other medical practitioners from using ether anesthesia in their day-to-day practice either. It's like being like, well, it was still a little experimental, and maybe he didn't know how to use it. It's like, he didn't know how to do any of the shit he was doing. He was an experimental physician. (laughs) Like, yeah. And I mean, they were doing it for dental procedures. Yes. 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 Much he could have he could have. yeah
5: excruciating hor- horrific procedure without.: yeah. you know, sedation.
6: And obviously, like, again, I think that you should have to consent. For, I, I had an uncle who died because he got anesthetic that he really did not want, and it was kind of like a fucked-up situation. This was before I was born, obviously. Um, But, like, I think you should have to consent before getting anesthetized, obviously, at least to the extent that that's possible. Sometimes people arrive in, like, a state of extremis and, you know, you have to assume certain things. But, like, in the case of experimentation, obviously they can't consent to being anesthetized any more than they can consent to the experiment. But if you're going to experiment on unconsenting people, I guess it's better to try to sedate them. Like, yeah, yeah. If you don't going to do something bad <laughs> to them, yeah, at least do yeah. something
5: bad that makes them comfortable.
6: Yeah, at least try to all, at least show that you care about their comfort. I guess, I don't know, mitigating is the wrong word, but that would at least show that you view them as things that, like people that are capable of experiencing pain, right? Um. So... Yeah. Um, Now, NPR and other critical write-ups of Sims will suggest that he may have acted as he did out of a widespread belief that black people suffered pain less acutely than white people. It is worth noting that this errant belief is still very much alive in medicine today and influences patient treatment and outcomes in 2022. As the website Hidden Brain notes, quote, Black patients continue to receive less pain medication for broken bones and cancer. Black children receive less pain medication than white children for appendicitis. One reason for this is that many people inaccurately believe that blacks literally have thicker skin than whites and experience less pain. Again, this is, it's certain that this affected Sims. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, it is an absolute fact that this impacted Dr. Sims' treatment of these people because it still impacts the way doctors do their shit today. Um, now, obviously, L.L. Wall rejects this. Um, he notes that Sims repeatedly talked about how much pain Anarka, Betsy, and the other women were in. He definitely does talk about them being in pain, but it's always so that he can be like, what a hero I am for treating them. And like, they wanted me to like, right. Anyway, um, part of, yeah. Sorry. I, I, before we
5: get, leave that point, I, I mean, I think it's a really important point to show that it's still an issue. That question about, uh, people thinking that black, uh, people had thicker skin, literal thicker skin. They tested that amongst medical students and medical students Thought a little bit more than the average, like thought a little bit more than you would expect that black people had thicker skin. Jesus Christ! Yeah, no, it's, it's terrible. I mean, you know, medical students are not like born out of some sort of vacuum; they come from society. No, Society's no, fucked up, but but you know, you would think those people would know a little bit better. But that was not uncommon. There was a that that study about the appendicitis the the white kids getting more medication for appendicitis than black kids. That was like back in two thousand five, two thousand fifteen. There was a Christ. Journal of Pain article that came out showing that. Uh pharmacies in black neighborhoods always carried less uh opiates and pain medication than the pharmacies in white neighborhoods, like almost across the board. It was it so just in general, that's that's still I'm glad you brought it up it's still a yeah. problem we have in the medical community. I mean it's it's been talked about for, for a while now, but every couple of years some new article yep. comes out saying like we're under-treating these this
6: population. Jesus God. Um well, so when it – I mean, what, one thing – so I, again, I don't want to just be – because L.L. Wall is very, very specific whenever people make arguments about this guy, and he gets into like the – well, he says this, and this guy says – so to be specific, I, I just mentioned I'm certain that, that Dr. Sims had this racist belief about his black patients. There is documented evidence that he held beliefs like this, um, and not just towards black people, and this is, again – makes that case. Uh, And I'm going to quote again from Cronin's write-up. Mary Smith was one of the first women listed on the patient register at Sims' newly opened women's hospital in 1855. Her first delivery had been in Ireland, where she had experienced a prolapsed uterus, a herniated and prolapsed bladder, fecal incontinence, and urine leakage that had rubbed her vulva raw. Upon examination, Sims declared her a most offensive and loathsome subject— Sims and his junior colleague, Thomas Emmett, performed over 30 operations on Smith over a six-year period, without anesthesia. The Women's Hospital did not routinely administer anesthesia until after the end of the Civil War in 1865. The way Sims wrote about treating a woman patient in France in 1861 provides a stark contrast to Mary Smith's treatment. Working with five other people who could assist, Sims performed two operations on a 21-year-old woman. She was, he wrote, young, beautiful, rich, and accomplished, and he had never seen a case of this kind which was attended with such suffering. Clearly, none of the enslaved or poverty-stricken women he treated earlier had displayed their suffering in quite the right way. This was a woman who, as Sims described, belongs to the higher walks of life. So, he, not only is this a guy who certainly believes that, like, enslaved black women are less capable of experiencing pain he believes that poor irish women do not experience pain to the same way as this rich french lady this is documented and like it's it's very clear when you look at the writing about this like he this is a deeply classist racist man who believes that your ability to experience suffering is dependent upon your social status yeah the whole princess in the pea thing yeah
5: like if you're if you're rich and you come from like Uh, aristocracy, you could feel the tiny little pee on your, your genteel skin from like 14 mattresses away.
6: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's just very telling too. again, 1855, 10 years after the start of these experiments, when there were certainly anesthetics and sedation available, he is still when the woman's poor and somebody he doesn't think about as like a proper woman operating without any kind of anesthetic. Right. And again, 30 operations on this lady. You know? Wow. Um, But you know who always operates with anesthetic? At least most of the 30 times. Yeah. Look, the products and services that support this podcast um, will make sure you have ample uh, access to anesthetic. Because we're sponsored by Ether. Ether! Ether! If you ever just wanted to, like, huff out of a jar and go away for a while? <laughs> go ether. away
2: for a while? <laughs> Robert, That's pretty
6: much your best bet. Robert, I don't like what? this What? Do bit. you like time traveling? You know what? You don't want to go away for just a little while? The news is horrible today. I wouldn't mind just a jar of forget-me-now. Like, just take a sniff and away you go. Like, you're not
3: wrong, but also no. Well,
6: yeah. Too bad because we are entirely supported by the ether industry. Oh, that's our—that is exclusively
3: our only sponsor. That's our
6: only sponsor is Big Ether. So get rent yourself uh, 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 one of those cars you can roll the roof down on. Start going like eighty miles an hour, you know, on the highway, and then just huff a little bit of ether. Huff a little bit of ether, not a lot, not enough to pass out. That's not safe. Look, look, I would prefer your ad. Your adverts be
5: that And not like dick pills So okay. Big ether Let's big talk Big ether Big
6: ether Yeah big ether And you know If, if you mix the ether And do the not, dick pills
3: Do not Give him <laughs> Any <laughs> cause To do this more Than he already is No
6: I'm a doctor I totally
5: encourage This but, behavior in Robert It's fantastic oh
2: my I'm a doctor ether, oh, yeah. Okay Okay Big Trust doctor me, energy so, Right now I'm um, mm-hmm. a doctor Yeah Yeah So
3: That's is the, so right is right the, kind the motherfucker of We're talking about <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway, here's the ether industry. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game.
2: I want to be remembered
1: for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under seventeen, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May seventeenth.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring, with access to over six million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
0: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
6: We're back. Ah, And Big Ether is happy to expand its base of clients from 120-year-old men. Uh, who live in castles in the Adirondacks. So please help Big Ether come into the twenty first century. Um, it's very flammable. It's so part of that whole blue zone diet. They live exactly to store Easy. Long <laughs> yeah. ages. a lot of shellfish in ether. <laughs> yes, <right. laughs> Some ceviche, a jar of ether and thou baby. That's the secret. Oh man. That's not a bad that's not a bad yeah, afternoon actually. actually. Bad, bad. Yeah. Um, so, um, anyway, once Dr. Sims, cause he figures this, I think 1849 is like when he kind of gets it right. Although obviously the fact that he's, he takes him 30 times to get it right on another patient, 1855, it's a messy process, right? But he releases his bombshell report on how to fix fistula in 1852. He releases a follow-up monograph in 1853 and he becomes famous across the world, He moves to New York City and he starts the very first hospital for women in the United States. Um, That is Dr. Sims, first women's hospital. Now, this is really controversial at the time. And he does, again, a lot of people think it's like gross to do medicine on women. (laughs) Um, So like he has to, he does have to, he does get, I don't know what credit you want to give him, but it is like a thing. He has to like fight to fund and operate this hospital and to like train doctors specifically in treating women's health issues. And that's a positive move. It's good that that happened. Um, During the Civil War, Sims, who described himself as a loyal Southerner, moves to Europe, uh, where he works on fistula patients across the continent and the Isles. There is some evidence that he acted as a government agent for the Confederacy while he was there, helping them seek loans and diplomatic recognition. Secretary of State Seward describes him as a, quote, secessionist in sentiment and hostile to the government. It's very possible he was a Confederate spy while he was in Europe.
5: Um you know, another reason to not root for this dude.
6: Yep, yep. He really keeps making the decisions he keeps making. In eighteen sixty-three, while the war is, you know, going going right. That's kind of like the height of shit. Um, he treats the Empress Eugenie of France for a fistula. This is like one of the things he's most famous for, is he fixes the cause she's this is back when France is an empress. They don't for in like another seven or eight years, because they lose a war pretty bad. But at this point, she's like one of the most famous women in the world, right? um she has a fistula he fixes it this is controversial there are claims that there's zero evidence whatsoever that he actually treated her for anything um and people who will argue that he was basically pretending to treat a medical issue in order to secretly do diplomacy with France on behalf of the confederacy um Obviously, I, I, I'm not competent to go into detail on that, but it is an argument people make. He was very likely doing some shady shit on the Confederacy's behalf while he's in Europe. Um, he remained a racist his entire career. Uh, as this section from NPR's write-up makes clear, his racism had brutal consequences for patients outside the realm of gynecology too. Quote, Before and after his gynecological experiments, he also tested surgical treatments on enslaved black children in an effort to treat Trismus nascentium, neonatal tetanus, with little to no ex- success. Sims also believed that African Americans were less intelligent than white people and thought it was because their skulls grew too quickly around their brain. He would operate on African American children using a shoemaker's tool to pry their bones apart and loosen their skulls.
5: Oh my God. Oh, Again, I fucking hate this guy. A
6: dude who sucks here. Yeah. I fucking hate this guy. Yeah, he's he's a pretty bad guy. Um... Dr. Sims stayed in Europe for a while after the end of the Civil War. He returned in 1871 to work at the Women's Hospital, and eventually he establishes the first cancer institute in the United States, the New York Cancer Hospital. Uh, he was a n- unanimously elected president of the American Medical Association in 1876. Um, in 1877, he starts suffering angina attacks. He catches typhoid in 1880, which starts a rapid decline. Uh, he makes his he writes half of the autobiography basically that we've cited today when he dies of a heart attack on November 13th 1883 in Manhattan in recognition for his achievements J. Marion Sims had several statues made in his honor including one in Manhattan's Central Park after years of controversy it was removed in 2018 I think a couple others were removed in 2020 at least one Um, and yeah that's uh that's that dude I
5: I uh, I mean, this is obviously he's. This guy is a true bastard. Um, yes, I think but, that's clear. <laughs> yeah, but what, but what is interesting and really important about this is that I mean, there's echoes of what happened because of him that still reverberate through today and cause us a lot of, uh, in the medical community, a lot of. I think, uh, would needs to be some deep introspection and and some reckoning. I mean. Things like this, Henrietta Lacks, Tuskegee. Yes. They how could they not leave these real intense historical scars on the collective psyche of, of this community? Who, yeah. by the way, I mean, if you they'll they'll you'll probably hear some of you'll hear reports. A lot of African Americans don't feel like they're being listened to by the medical community. We talked about some of the studies. Yeah. That show they got less pain from the the PNAS, the uh, really mm-hmm. great name of that. Uh, what's it? Is it procedural? Uh, procedure, procedurals of the National Academy of Sciences. Anyways, yeah, they had that 2016 article that was that showed that they got less pain meds, and that is you know, still to this day like African American women, Indigenous women are two to three times more likely to die during childbirth. I mean, this is yeah. still stuff that we're dealing with, and because of this, understandably, as a doctor, I run into a lot of uh, iatrophobia like people afraid of the oh, yeah, healer of the medical community. And, yeah. and when, so people are like, why would the African American community not want to get the COVID vaccine? You're like, fuck, look, uh, yeah. look at
6: the history that Perfectly we have. Reasonable. It's this, it's this, like there's um one of the most fucked up things the CIA's done recently is they, they had a fake vaccine drive in Pakistan where they were really testing people's blood to see if they could find people related to Osama bin Laden to track him down and like weren't vaccinating people. Oh. And it was just like, yeah, of course wow. there's distrust of Western vaccine programs, right. the CIA. Thank you. Um, oh, wow. Well, and it's uh, and also, like, you bring up indigenous women. There were I, We're not talking about this today, so I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't want to get something wrong. But, like, there were a lot of vaccine trials done with real questionable consent on yeah. indigenous populations in the United States, you know? Right.
5: Yeah, no, you um, did a good uh, – you did a really good um, – I forget which where you did it. I think it was on this show. You talked about – you know, the history of vaccines and there's some mm.
6: problematic components. To yeah. Them. Uh, like and- again, like with everything, right? Yeah, like, right, like right. with voting, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not a factor. It's not a, it's not an inherent characteristics of vaccines. It's an inherent characteristic of like the white supremacist state that has existed for a couple of hundred years. Um, Yeah. Which kind of colors everything. There's, um, there's a really good 1941 paper titled The Negro's Contribution to Surgery, published in the Journal of the National Medical Association by Dr. John A. Kinney of the Tuskegee Institute, um, who was a, like a groundbreaking black dermatologist. Um, and he kind of he writes in that paper, I suggest that a monument be raised and dedicated to the nameless Negroes who have contributed so much to surgery by the guinea pig route. Um, I found this in an article about them removing a statue of Sims. Um, And I don't know, I'm not much of a statue guy one way or the other, but certainly that's a better idea for a statue than one to this guy. Absolutely.
5: Absolutely. I mean, people also need to remember this is, I mean, we think this is like, Ages and ages ago, the Tuskegee experiment ended in like 1972. One of
6: these days, yeah, 1972.
5: Like, I had attendings teaching me that were alive and and practicing medicine at that time. So, it's like not that long ago that this was a thing that was happening.
6: Yep, yep. And, like, I mean, a, a bunch of the, I mean, presumably, one hopes at least that a number of the women that he was experimenting on probably lived into the 20th century. Or the 19th century. Wait, 20th century. Yeah, 20th century. Yes. I, the centuries are always hard because it's one less than the number. Yeah. You know, no, it doesn't you make know, any you sense. You know how counting works, it, yeah. Kava. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think you probably shouldn't enslave people and you also shouldn't conduct medical experiments on them. Um, that's, my, that's my radical left-wing rant for the day. Pinko um, nut. I don't want to get political here. He's oh, just like about slavery. Oh, okay,
2: theory. bet. Okay. <laughs>
6: um, but yeah, probably bad. Probably bad. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, I think it's worth really digging into because we could have done, I kind of considered doing like a much broader episode where this guy would be a chunk and then we'd talk Henrietta Lacks and Tuskegee, but I, there's so much to say about how this is conducted, about how other doctors who, who are not experimenting on enslaved people do things differently, about how this guy is, like, received, how he justifies it, how his, what he just, I, I really think, and I, I think we'll probably wind up focusing on each of those other, those other, I don't know what to call them, like, m- pieces of medical history, like, in, in detail, because I think it is worthwhile. There's always a lot to, like, drill down here about. How it was justified at the time, how it's been justified since the how the language that people uses around the, this kind of stuff acts to sort of hide the horror, um, even by doing things that are like you you claim to be advocating for the patient, but what you're really doing is kind of like making suffering porn about this person in order to like say that basically anything I do is justified, which seems bad to me. I, have we started the hashtag #ADAB? All doctors are bastards. There we, somebody, <laughs> there we go. There we go. The doctors are the cops. If
5: we do that, um, I, no, I mean, actually, this is so important that we talk. I mean, it's yeah, it so, is. It is unfortunately it's timely now because we have to. We're talking about autonomy and people's rights. Jesus Christ, are we ever? Yeah, it's like a basic medical ethic that we still do not have in this country, and and it seems to be going backwards.
6: Yeah, and it's the same. I mean, there's a, there's a huge degree to which like. It's the same thing with journalism, right? We can talk about the history of white supremacy in journalism, how journalism was used to like whip up fear of slave. How probably a decent chunk of Doctor Sims's terror of like runaway slaves was stoked by articles in the local press about like horrible things done by runaway slaves in whatever town or whatever. Um, And then shit like you know the Spanish American War, the, the kind of yellow press, and how you know, and the Iraq War, and the ways in which. You know, today a lot of idiots in legacy media are writing these like articles. Well, we have to examine. You know, really, there's a lot more problems with conversion, uh, with, with uh, gender transition and stuff than like. And we should, and and doing this, writing this stuff in a way that like plays into this right wing outrage machine, and being like, well, we're not writing things that are meant to do that. It's just other people taking us out of context, and it's like, yeah, but if you're putting shit out, if if you don't think about the ethics of what you're doing. If you like you're, you're like and the actual impact of what you're doing, it's the same it's the same thing. We have these these things that are really important as institutions, medicine and, and and the media and and all of this stuff that is are are critical for having a society and a lot of people within them who don't like some of the con, some of the really thorny ethical questions that are necessary when you look at the history of these institutions. Like guys like I think Wall who want to just celebrate what is legitimately groundbreaking medicine, right? Right. And Sims was groundbreaking in a lot of his application of medicine. Um, And he wants to, Wall wants to celebrate that. And he doesn't want to really like look at what's super fucked up about this guy. Um, And I, you know, there's a lot of people who do that for a bunch of things. It's this, it's this constant problem we have of like, and I think, I, Wall is, I don't think doing, Wall is doing the effortful version. The low effort version is to say like, oh, you just want to ignore, like, you just want to cancel history, right? Where it's like, no, I'm telling you the history of Marion Sims. I think it's important to talk about the history of Marion Sims. I wish like hell we knew more about the history of, uh, of Betsy, um, of Anarka, uh, of Lucy, of like these and the women he does not name who he experimented upon because they are also critical parts of medical history.
5: Yeah, no, exactly. It's yeah. the opposite. You don't, you want the history to be known. It's just, uh, yeah. there's certain things that should not be celebrated.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, we, we don't <laughs> and, need to make need, him into a hero to discuss what he did. Cause right. what he did is important. Yeah.
5: Yeah. This is an ongoing story in medicine. Yeah. There's like, when I was in training, we started moving away from eponyms because ostensibly, because we want to focus on the science of it and not the name of the person, but mm. because and so often in medicine, you run across someone like Wegner, and Wegner's granulomato- granulomatosis, sorry, I killed that word and I should know it better. But anyways, Wegner's disease, because he was a Nazi, you know, oh. and he, and, and, he, <laughs> and things were, and he was an important pathologist in many ways, yeah. but, you know, we need to be able to separate what he did and talk about it and make sure it's known because it's an important part of making sure we don't move backwards. And guess yeah. what? If we don't focus on that, we move backwards. And we're moving backwards right now.
6: Yeah, we <laughs> absolutely. Backwards. I mean, it's we'll probably wind I mean we'll definitely gonna be talking about Hans Asperger too at some point, which is another oh, yeah. another Nazi, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Nazis and Confederates. Um, this is the kind of Confederate history I'm interested in telling. <laughs> yeah. Um All right, Kava, you got any okay. pluggables to plug?
5: I do, I certainly do. Uh you can follow me at the House of Pod on Twitter. And you can listen to my humor-adjacent medical podcast, The House of Pod, anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you want to do something a little different, you can listen to my recap fun show I do with Rebecca Watson, who uh, is amazing, and I highly recommend you you check her out in her YouTube videos. And we do a show called Girls on Boys. It is a fun, deep-dive uh, about the show, The Boys, in it, in I'll explain in it why I hate Alfred Molina with a burning
6: passion of a thousand. Wow! Sons. Wow! Oh, yeah, I got a thing Sophie, for Alfred. Sophie, I got a thing for get, Alfred. Yeah, get, know. get Jamie Loftus on the Loftus. Yeah, set, set Jamie, off the Loftus signal. Yeah,
3: Jamie Loftus <laughs> fucking loves Alfred Molina. You are now her she sworn sure enemy.
5: I hey, sure listen. Uh, we'll talk about not without my daughter anytime. Wow!
6: Ooh. Wow! Ooh. We've got yes. we have the makings of a podcast feud. feud here, Pete. Yeah. I'm calling you out, a Jamie Loftus. She's literally feud.
3: texting me right now, and I'm I'm, I'm wow. for your safety. I will not tell Let her, know. Her, at this Let her know. What's we're up? What's up? Let
6: her know. What's We're throwing a feud down. This is this could be the rumble in I don't I, know like a, a I'm literally a coffee sipping shot, tea maybe? as
3: this is happening. Woo.
6: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Terrible. We're we're spilling some mad don't. tea. Don't don't, this don't hurt me Jamie Loftus. This is gonna like, be an even bigger an even bigger thing than my feud with Isn't there someone named Ezra at NPR?
5: Yeah, Ezra Miller I think. That He's, fucker. Yeah. yeah the, the Fuck actor. you
6: Ezra Miller. Yeah, I'm gonna fuck him yeah. up. Or the Ezra who does the show. Yeah. Oh wait, is there an Ezra yeah. who does the show? Yeah, Ezra is Miller's the Ezra. Flash, but no. He's, oh he's oh yeah, I mean guy that guy too. sounds like he sucks. But Ezra yeah, 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 Klein, yeah. that's the NPR guy. I'm gonna fuck you up, Ezra Klein. Yeah, that's I'm gonna, our,
3: that's I'm our gonna
5: our back enemy? you up
6: on that one. Yeah, let's Ezra do it bro. Klein,
5: let's mess up Ezra. Yeah, your enemy is my house. Enemy, Robert. Yeah.
3: Um, are you not gonna tell people to get colonoscopies? That's normally what you. Oh yeah, get your colon cancer screening if it's appropriate
6: for you. Talk to your doctor about it. When do you need to do that? Oh, okay. Okay. That's fair. Yeah.
5: yeah. I'm not going to go. I mean, there's like, it's like, there's like so many like different things to talk about when it comes to colonoscopies and colon cancer screening, different versions of colon cancer screening, mm-hmm. when you should start, what your risks are. Um
6: Well, so to but let me, let me, let me run this through. Cause I had, yeah. I had a, I had a, I had a, I had a lady at a, at a, at a yurt tell me that coffee enemas make that it impossible to get that cancer. And mm-hmm. so I did that for a couple of years. And then I figured Coffee enemas, if they make it, if they'll stop me from getting colon cancer, you know it'll do an even better job as Red Bull, so I've been doing that for like the last five years every day
5: uh listen uh, mm-hmm. this is important uh-huh Coffee is your friend, it is not an enema it is amazing i love coffee i did a whole episode with prop by the way mm-hmm. we had deepak chopper's brother who's a coffee aficionado come on oh, wow. and one of and one of the, the greatest like uh living american hepatologists had them on all to talk about coffee great what just a group. don't put it don't put it in your butt it will there. cause damage at worst cause you significant damage at best it will ruin your
6: coffee and your butt okay but i have as i said moved on to red bull so that's oh yeah that's right because the taurine helps right that makes it clean yeah no it's the it's the
5: chemicals that clean out the stuff in there yeah that's good it's like putting bleach in there
6: a lot of people don't get enough taurine in their assholes um (laughs) american (laughs) with not with this american diet (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody that's gonna do it for us here at behind the bastards um At this point, probably donate to a bail fund. I don't know what's going to happen in the next week or so after the whole, (laughs) um, after the row decision. But yeah, uh, probably, probably good to go donate to a bail fund.
0: Bye.
3: right rug flooring
1: top Two is like no other course two 420 foot vertical speedways three launches all right let's talk strategy